You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So today we're starting a new series. It's called The Table. And, um, and, and the whole series is about this idea that as we come to a table, there are benefits. There are things we get out of coming to a table and sitting at a table. There's something powerful about being invited to a table. When I sit across the table from someone, as I have many of you, it's amazing what I can learn and how I can hear your story and you, you tell me things. And it's not just about the words you're saying, it's about your body language or the, the, your posture, the look on your face, the tone you use. It helps me get to know you. There's something really powerful about sitting at a table with someone and sharing a meal or sharing a, a, a cup of coffee or just having a conversation together. And so that's what this series is really about. And so this, this series is called The Table. And the truth is, um, we all like the idea of building relationships, but it's hard to do. And so we wanna do something, this is gonna be terrifying for some of you, but we wanna do something that we wanna encourage you to do this. As we were talking about as the staff, we were brainstorming some different ideas and somebody said, hey, what if we, and we talked about it, we're like, we like that idea, let's do that. So here's what we're pro- proposing. Some of you brave souls that would like to, what we'd like you to do is register with us. Just let us know. I would like you to pay for my meal. How many of you like food? Does anybody like food? Some of you are fasting, so you're like, I do like food, but I can't admit I like food, right? So, so how many of you like free food? Somehow free food just tastes better to me than pay, food I have to pay for. So, okay, free food. We wanna give you some free food. Here's the catch. We're gonna have you register, those of you that are interested. You can register by simply texting at the table to 94000. Well, all one word, at the table to 94000. Text that to us. We're gonna send you a link. You can register by giving us your first and last name and your email address, that's all. And when you do that, you're registering to be selected for a free gift card for a local restaurant. And what we're asking you to do if you're selected is to um, use that within this calendar month before the end of January. And we're asking you to use it with someone we assign to you. (laughs) We promise we're not gonna send you weirdos, okay? (laughs) We promise. They're gonna know, because we're asking them, hey, would you be willing? And, And you're signing up, so you're willing, so we're screening. And what we're gonna try to do is connect you to people that we think you'll have something in common with, but that you probably don't know. So, all we want you to do is have a meal with them, a free meal. It's literally costing you nothing but some time. And so what would it look like for you to sit at the table with somebody that maybe you don't know and you get to hear their story and they get to hear your story and now maybe you don't become best friends but now you know somebody a little better and a little differently and you get a free meal out of it. So if you are daring enough and bold enough and willing, we would love for you to text at the table to 94,000 to let us know and, uh, and you've got this weekend and next week, we'll do it for two weeks. But what we would like you to do is to have the meal before the end of January um, because we want you to have some urgency about it. So if you've got questions about that, let us know. I'll mention it again next weekend. Um, but we want, this is a social experiment. We wanna see 
Um, we wanna see what happens. We think this is gonna be really good. And so uh, get signed up, let us know. We want you to be a part of that. The truth is tables have been around for thousands of years. Uh, generally, tables are flat horizontal surfaces and that's basically all that they have in common. There are tables used in lots of different ways, lots of different names, lots of different functions, designs, ideas. Uh, they can look lots of different ways. In your home, I bet you have at least three, maybe four different kinds of tables. Uh, you got end table, coffee table, kitchen table, dinner tables, all kinds of different kinds of tables. They have different forms. Um, maybe it's a pedestal or dual pedestal. Uh, it could be lots of different things, but the reality is most of what we do at those tables are limited to some specific kinds of actions. We might work at the table. We might do homework at the table. We might eat at the table, but really the, the, the function is somewhat limited. But one of the things we see at most tables is people gather. And um, this last week, as I was doing some research on tables and the history of tables, I found a few tables I thought were interesting. Has anybody ever seen, there's a Christopher Nolan movie a few years ago called Inception. Did anybody see Inception? It's a, I like this movie, by the way. It's not a, at the movies movie. It's too confusing. But I really like the movie Inception. I found a table for people who like the movie Inception. Um, and it's really interesting. The woodwork on that is insane, but I just thought that table was cool. What is the things, the things that come down off the table that hold it up, what are those called? Legs, that's right. Let's see a table with legs. There it is. I realized I'm so uncomfortable with this table and I think I would be less uncomfortable with it if they were turned in opposite directions. <laughs> if the naked men were not facing each other, I would feel better about it maybe. If I walked into your house, if you invited me for dinner and I walked in, I was like, it's so good to be here. And I saw that, I'd be like, well, that's all, good night. I would just walk out immediately. There's another table I found, a sumo table, I thought was interesting. <laughs> I like the sumo table. I thought it would, be, it would be fun if you have a toddler, like a chubby toddler, just to do this to your toddler, just strap a table to their back and tell them like, hey, stay there during this, we gotta talk, so. I found a table that if you, love, if you love doing yard work while you eat, there's a table for that. I don't know who would want grass on their table. I, I even found a table for people who would say something like this. I hate eating alone, but I also don't wanna to talk to anybody while I eat. <laughs> this table's for you. This is an actual table that a guy made. It was, um, it was a piece of artwork, basically. Um, but this table is for you. Some of you are, are Googling this right now. You're like, I need this for my dinner. Like, my, I don't have to talk to my husband ever again if we eat at this table. But the truth is there's lots of different kinds of tables. And there's many different functions. But the truth is that there are psychological, there's sociological, and there are spiritual aspects to the tables we sit at. So we're gonna be talking about that over the next few weeks. Today, I want us to jump into a passage of scripture. Uh, we're gonna start in 2 Samuel chapter nine. 2 Samuel chapter nine, uh, there's a man named David. And if you're new to church, uh, there, there was a guy named David in the Old Testament. And David, um, he, he's known for killing Goliath. He was a young man and he killed Goliath with a sling and some stones. Goliath was a giant and he went on from there to, um, to serve in the court of the king of Israel named Saul. He became best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And Saul eventually went mad and tried to kill David. And David was on the run and 
Eventually, David becomes king of Israel. Just made a really long story much shorter. So David becomes king of Israel after Saul takes his own life, and then his son Jonathan is killed in battle. And so these guys die, and eventually David becomes king. And years have passed since he became king, and he is remembering his best friend Jonathan and remembering a promise he made to him. And this is where we'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And it says, One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked? Yes, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, Is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, Yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He's crippled in both feet. 2 Samuel 9, 4 says, Where is he, the king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Makir, son of Amil. In Lodabar. Let me come back to that in just a moment. Verse 5 says, So David sent for him and brought him from Makir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. I will mess that up at least one time before we're done today. His name was Mephibosheth, He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Now here's the thing. You can read this story in 1 Samuel chapter four. After Saul had died and after his son died, um, Mephibosheth's nanny, she had heard this and she realized this young man is an heir to the throne and there's been an insurrection and this little boy's life might be in jeopardy and she left and she left Jerusalem. She crossed the Jordan River and actually went back into the wilderness uh, where she ended up residing. This is where Mephibosheth, there it was, Mephibosheth lived. He lived in a place called Lodabar. Now, if you're just reading scripture at face value and you don't look at it contextually, we miss something here because Lodabar was a place most people would not want to live. It was, it was a rough area. And in Lodabar itself, the, the definition of Lodabar is interesting. Lodabar means no pasture or no communication, no word. No pasture. Now, for us, in our context, this doesn't make as much sense. But I want you to think about second uh, in in Psalm chapter 23. In Psalm 23, David writes uh, about God being the good shepherd. And what does he say? He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And green pastures represent provision and abundance. And so what David says about God is, excuse me, God provides what I need and he provides it abundantly. But Lodabar is a place of no pasture. It is a place of no provision and no abundance. And it also is a place of no communication. There's no word. Have you ever, maybe you've applied for a job and you interviewed, because I've talked to people. They'll tell me, Pastor Mel, be praying for me. I'm interviewing for a job on Tuesday. And the next week I'll see him. How'd it go? They go, man, it was great. What'd they say? Well, I haven't heard back yet. Have you ever had that gap between interviewing and hearing back? It's agonizing. Because, oh, I want this job. But what? There's no communication. There's no word. You feel isolated. You feel alone. Maybe you've been to the doctor and the doctor has run some tests and you've waited on the results. 
That is the worst. What's it going to say? What's going to happen? How do I find out? Call the office. Well, we'll let you know. It's horrible waiting on word, right? You're isolated. You're alone. Mephibosheth must have felt this way. He was a young man who grew up with this lost dream and lost hopes of what could have been. He was in line, lineage of the king, but that was dashed and he was living in a place of no abundance. He was living in a place of no provision. He was living in a place of no communication. He was isolated. This is how he lived his life. The truth is, I think many of us understand that. Many of us live in a place called Lodabar because we feel alone. We feel isolated. We feel hopeless. We feel like maybe God had something better for me that I missed out on. And when he comes to the king, he immediately bows and says, I am your servant. And he's doing this because he understands what's going on. He understands the dynamic because he knows that politically he is a threat to the king because he is an heir to the last king. And so he understands, I don't want him to view me as a threat, even though I've got a a physical issue, uh, even though I've been in, in isolation, basically, I've been in Lodabar for all these years, I want him to know I'm not a threat. So he says, I am your servant. And David is astute. He is no fool. He recognizes the situation as well. So he immediately diffuses it in verse seven. He says, don't be afraid. <clears throat> don't be afraid. Uh, there's times that I'll invite the staff. I'll talk to a staff member. Like, hey, stop by my office. and I need to talk to you about something. And if I say something like that, I'll typically say, you're not in trouble. I just, but I just want to visit with you about something. Okay, because I want to diffuse it. Because if you get called into the boss's office, right, you might be a little nervous. Even for some of you guys, I've said, hey, would you be willing to stop? I want to, I want to meet with you about something. And if I ask, if I issue an invitation like that, I'm typically going to say, here's what I want to talk to you about. Or don't worry, it's not, you're not, I'm not upset about anything. I just want to talk to you. Here's what I want to talk to you about, right? Because it feels like you're getting called to the principal's office. I know what this is like, okay? David reads that. He understands it. He says, hey, don't be afraid. There's no reason to fear. And listen to what he says. He says, I intend to show kindness to you because of the promise to your father, Jonathan. He says, I'm going to be good to you because of your dad. He says, I'll give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you'll eat here with me at the king's table. He says, hey, I heard about you in Lodabar. I see where you're at. And because I loved your your dad, he was my brother, uh, I wanna take care of you. So everything that was Saul's, I'm gonna give to you, which is pretty sizable. He says, I wanna take care of you. And then he says, you will eat here with me at the king's table. And listen to what Mephibosheth says. Oh, we're going to have problems with that one. (laughs) He bowed respectfully and exclaimed, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Now this, this could be false humility, but I don't think it is. When he calls himself a dead dog, I think this is how he saw himself. I think he looked at his situation, he looked at his life, he looked at his place, he looked at what had happened to him, he looked at what his future held, and he identified himself as a dead dog. 
And he said, who am I? I do not deserve to sit at the table of the king. I do not deserve this honor that you've given me. So why would you do something like this? It was simply because the king chose him. Because David said, I love you because I loved your dad. Verse nine, then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. So let me stop here for a second. This is big. Um, maybe you've read the Lord of the Rings or maybe you've seen the movies, Lord of the Rings. There's a character in the, the book, the novel, and in the movies, and he, he's, he's called the Steward of Gondor. And Gondor is a kingdom without a king, and in its place, this man, the steward, he stewards the kingdom until the king returns. And when the king finally shows up, the steward's not very happy because the steward had been living like a king in the king's absence. And in this moment, Ziba has been a steward of what Saul had. He was a steward of his possessions and his property. And, and so when David says, hey, Ziba, everything that was Saul's is now Mephibosheth's, his grandson's. I just wanna let you know. You have to imagine Ziba wasn't thrilled about this. He's like, oh, perfect. Everything I had is not mine anymore. And the truth was, it wasn't his in the first place. He was supposed to be a steward of it. It was the king's, not his, but he lived like it was his. That's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. We won't get into that today. So he says to Ziba, here's what's gonna happen. Here's what's going on. In verse 10, it says, you, and this is what he continues to say to Ziba, you and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. He said, all your people, you're not gonna work the fields to make sure Mephibosheth has what he needs. But he reiterates again, he's going to eat at my table with me, with the king. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant and I will do all that you've commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table. He didn't just eat at the table. Look at what it says. Like one of the king's own sons. He wasn't just an outsider who happened to be sitting at the table. David said, now you're one of us. Mm. I hope you can catch the, the magnitude of this. <clears throat> Mephibosheth was in Lodabar. He was isolated. There was no word, no communication. There was no provision. There was no abundance. There was no hope. And the king showed up and said, come eat at my table. Remember what he said, when you eat with somebody, you learn to know them. There is something intimate about eating with somebody, especially if you're eating like barbecue. You're gonna see the worst of them. They're gonna get it all over them. If they got a beard and they're eating soup, it's ugly, right? So in this moment, you get to know the best and worst in people. You get to hear their stories. You get to know them intimately. And David is not just saying, why don't you consume your food in the same place we consume our food? He's inviting him to sit at the table. He's inviting him to, to function and to live like one of his own kids. See, what he's saying is, you've lived your life in a way where you didn't belong, but now you belong. Come sit at my table. You belong with me. 
come eat with me. You belong here. We're gonna make space for you. Verse 12 says, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And from then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, I'm almost done saying his name, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Four times in this passage, it refers to Mephibosheth eating at the king's table. There's something powerful about an invitation to sit at the table. Do you remember, I mean, we just had Thanksgiving and Christmas. We just come through the season. But do you remember when you got promoted from the kids' table to the grown-up table at holiday gatherings? Does anybody remember the moment that you're like, I don't have to sit at the cart table in the basement anymore? You're like, oh, it's bittersweet because Aunt Rhonda had to die for you to move into that seat. But still, it's like, I loved her, but I don't want to sit with those kids anymore. So it's worth it right? That's straight off. When you got to sit at the table, you get to sit at the big table. Like, whoa, wow, I'm an adult now. High school is many moons in my rearview mirror. It's been a while since I was in high school. But I remember high school and the pressure that comes from walking in that cafeteria in an open seating setting. Whew. Where am I going to sit? Am I going to have anybody to sit with? I'll even say this. As an adult, I would go to the cafeteria when I was a youth pastor. I would go to the cafeteria, the, the high schools and junior highs. And my greatest fear is that I would walk in and all the kids from my youth ministry would be like, oh, no. <laughs> and I would have to consume my sad lunch meal with like my rectangle pizza and my green beans and chocolate milk by myself over in the corner. I'm a grown man sitting in the cafeteria eating my green beans with a spork. Like, oh, it's depressing. And even as an adult, seeing those kids go, Pastor Mel, Mel, come. It's like, all right. When you walk in and somebody goes, hey, 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 come sit with me. We'll, we'll make room for you. We got, we've got room for you. you. You can sit with us. What are they saying? You belong here. You don't have to be by yourself. You don't have to be alone. I, I've made room for you. You belong here. What are they saying? You're accepted. You don't have to be perfect. You're accepted. Come sit with me. You belong at my table. And we see pictures of this throughout scripture over and over and over and over and over. There's a story I wanna tell you um, from the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, chapter 21, Jesus had uh, been crucified. He had been buried. He had resurrected. And this story takes place in the time between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven. He had appeared to the disciples a couple of times already, um, but, but he's about to make his third appearance. And in this meantime, the disciples are trying to figure out what are they gonna do with their lives because uh, the world doesn't look like they thought it did just a couple of weeks before. And now they're kind of disillusioned, a little bit listless and just going, okay, what's next? And they decide to go fishing because several of them were professional fishermen. That's what they did for a living. And so they went fishing and scripture records that they fished all night, but they didn't catch anything. This is what they did for a living. And they fished all night, nothing, didn't get anything. And the next day, um, the, the sun was starting to come up and I'm sure they're worn out, they're exhausted. And, and I'm, 
I'm taking a little bit of liberty with this passage. I'm just interpreting it a little bit. But basically what happens is Jesus is on the shore. He's cooking them some breakfast. They don't recognize this Jesus because it's about 100 yards away. And it's in the, 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 you know, the early dawn morning. The light isn't really good yet. And Jesus calls out from the bank. He's like, hey, did you get anything? The guys just look at each other. Like, What a stupid question. Nope. And then Jesus, Jesus, he's tricky like this. He hollers and says, did you try the other side of the boat? And I can imagine the disciples like, oh my gosh. All right. That's a, we didn't think of that. Like, oh, the fish are hiding on that side of the boat. Of course not. Duh, right? <laughs> The car won't start. Well, did you try starting it? <laughs> I did. I attempted to. Before I knew very much about cars, before I'd ever worked on them, like I would be the guy that would pop the engine, like, oh, it's not starting. I'd pop the engine. And this is, this is, this is what I could have done. It was like, yep, the engine's still there. So that's not it. The engine didn't fall out. So <laughs> have you ever, the, the truth is many of you are experts in what you do, at least compared to most other people. And have you ever had somebody who wasn't an expert try to tell you how to do your job? It's kind of insulting, isn't it? Like our pride is like, who are you to tell me how to do my job? What do you, what do you? Like my favorite is WebMD. Oh, WebMD. I would hate to be a doctor with WebMD. And people show up and they're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've got cancer. I'm like, well, why? Well, WebMD said, it's like, oh God, right? No, I'm sure you're wrong, doctor. You went to medical school and I read on the internet. So people think they're experts about things. And I'm sure this must have been how the disciples felt. Like, ah, throw the nets on the other side of the boat, of course. Then finally somebody was like, I mean, we might as well. All right. And they throw the nets on the other side of the boat. They're like, what in the world? They were hiding on the other side of the boat, Right. They can't even get the fish in. And then John is writing this. And John depicts himself pretty well in the Gospel of John. And it says, the disciple Jesus loved. He couldn't have just said, I said, or John said. He said, the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he'd stripped down for the work. He jumped into the water. He headed to shore. He's just swimming. I can just imagine him swimming like a crazy man, just trying to get to shore. The others stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded uh, net to the shore for they were only about 100 yards from there. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to the shore. And there were 153 large fish and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them bread and the fish. <laughs> what a wild season this must have been for the disciples. Like what a roller coaster this must have been. And here they are with their resurrected rabbi. And I'm sure they're all kind of just looking around as they're eating their fish and bread. Like what is going on? Jesus invites them. He said, guys, come sit down. Come take a seat. I've got breakfast ready for you. Do you ever, 
You ever read the Bible and you feel like, well, that's, that feels oddly out of place or oddly descriptive about something. Like you read something, you feel like, well, why did they say it that way? And I do that sometimes. It causes me to be curious. And so when I'm reading this, it doesn't just say he was cooking it over a fire. It says that he was cooking it over a charcoal fire. Well, why do we care that it was a charcoal fire as opposed to a wood-burning fire? And I was curious, and I looked. And when you look at the word here for charcoal, it's a word that just means charcoal in the Greek. It's anthrakia. And anthrakia is a word that's only used a couple times in Scripture. And it's used both times by, by John in the Gospel of John. He uses it in John chapter 21 in this passage. And he also uses it in John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, he tells the story of Jesus' um, betrayal and um, the fact that Jesus was taken to the home of the high priest for trial. And when this happens, there are people that have gathered in the courtyard. And one of the disciples can go in, but Peter could not. So the disciple gets Peter in. And as he's going into this courtyard, um, the, the person at the gate recognizes Peter. He says, hey, aren't you? Peter goes, no, 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 that's not me. That's, you, no, I'm not one of his disciples. I, that's not me. You got me mistaken for somebody else. I get mistaken for people. Did you know that? I, I'm not exaggerating. I say this. Any human being that has a beard, somebody's probably told me I look like them because they also have a beard. I've been stopped three times in the Pittsburgh airport with, by people who thought that I was Phil Kessel. If you're not a hockey fan, you're like me. You don't know who Phil Kessel is. That finally, the last time they were convinced I was Phil Kessel, I just signed the autograph. I was like, yep, fine, fine, give it to me. And I signed it. I was like, Phil, how do I, K-E, I don't know. And they're gonna be so disappointed someday when they pass that down to their grandkids, so. <laughs> so Peter says, no, nah, that's not me. You've got the wrong guy. No, nah, that's not me. And he comes in. After he gets into the courtyard, somebody else goes, hey, 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 I know you. He goes, I am not one of his followers. I don't know this man. There's somebody else. As Jesus was taken in the garden, Peter takes a sword and he lops off the ear of one of the guys that was there. And fast forward to this part of the story, and there's this person, the third accuser, was like, hey, I know you. My uncle, you, you cut my uncle's ear off, basically. And Peter finally was like, that was not me. I am not the man who you think I am. I do not know him. And scripture records that the rooster crowed. And he was reminded that Jesus said, hey, you're gonna deny me. And he said, I will never deny you, right? So, so we see anthrakia used in chapter 21. We also used it, see it used in chapter 18. And here's the context it was used in 18. John 18, 18, this is in the courtyard in the midst of all this. It says, because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around warming themselves and Peter stood, the, uh, stood with them warming himself. Charcoal fire. I don't know about you, if, if I've ever done a cookout or I've done a... Um, Maybe a bonfire, I always smell like smoke later, all right? Like you don't see it in the moment, but later you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I, I recognize that smell, all right? There's just a smell. If somebody in my neighborhood, somebody 
has the wood burning fire going, I can smell the fire, right? It just has a unique smell to it. And what we know is that our sense of smell is closely related to our, the, the part of our brain that functions for memory, emotions, feelings. This is why you can smell a smell and it'll instantly take you back to a, a memory in your childhood or a memory from your past. And maybe it's a, a, a perfume and it's like, oh, you remember I dated a girl that wore that same perfume. Or maybe it was uh, a certain kind of food and it takes you back to your grandma's house growing up. Um, my dad wore Old Spice forever. And so whenever I smell Old Spice, um, I'm like, oh, that, smells, that reminds me of my dad, right? It just takes me to a place. And I can't help but think that he was warming himself by the fire. And as he made this proclamation about who Jesus was and who he was to Jesus, that he denied Christ three times in this failure, that this smell must have been associated with his failure to some degree. Now, I'm taking a little liberty, but I can imagine that when he got home that night full of shame and grief and disappointment in himself, and he stripped off his clothes to get ready for bed, and he was smelling the smell on the clothes. Then you fast forward just a, a week or two. Jesus is alive. And he, he finds himself sopping wet as he's crawled up on the shore, as he's jumped out of this boat, and Jesus is there, and he gets up there. <sighs> and he's wiping himself off, and what does he encounter? Charcoal fire with this smell. And I can't help but think that he must have been taken back. And in this moment, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't say, about time you showed up. Peter, do you know how bad you hurt me? Peter, do you have any idea how bad you failed? Peter, who do you think you are? I told you, you would, and you didn't believe me. He didn't do any of that. In fact, what we see in the Gospel of John is that the first two encounters, he never addresses Peter directly. So after Peter's failure, Jesus doesn't address him the first two times that he encounters the group. But the third time, he's face to face with Peter. And all he says is, hey, bring me some fish. And then he invites them to sit down for a meal. Hey, guys, come eat. Hey, I got food ready for you guys. Come sit down. Let's eat together. Have you ever done something stupid? You hurt somebody or you did something that was thoughtless and you're like, I know how to fix this. I will move to Cambodia and I'll never have to see them again, <laughs> right? I will, I will have to change my name and identity and move away and then I don't have to worry about this ever again. Like we wanna avoid that stuff, right? I don't wanna have the hard conversation. I don't wanna have to say I'm sorry. Whatever it was, this was the mother of all awkward conversations, right? And in this moment, Peter was probably expecting a lot of different things, but what he wasn't probably expecting was Jesus to say, hey, let's eat, let's sit down. Verse 15 says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he, what he was saying is, do you love me more than these guys love me? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. Third time he asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus didn't berate him. He said, sit down, let's eat together. See, before he tried to correct Peter, (laughs) before he tried to correct Peter, he made Peter realize he belonged. Hey, Peter, sit down. Let's eat. Hey, we've got some things we're gonna work out, but we'll take care of that. Hey, come on, let's eat together. Sociologists actually will say historically, um, eating together was a sign of trust because as two people would eat together, eat the same food, it was evidence that they were vulnerable together, that if, if it was poison for you, it's poison for me. But there's something deeply vulnerable about us eating together and sitting down together and sharing a table together. Now, obviously they didn't have a table, but they were sharing their meal. They were sitting together. And in this moment, it couldn't be much more vulnerable than this. And Jesus wasn't interested in fixing him. He was interested in helping him feel like he belonged. And this must have disarmed Peter. And then he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And this feels like he's berating him, like he's nagging him. He's not at all. What he's really doing is, I mean, this is symmetrical, right? Peter publicly failed Jesus three times. And what he's doing is he's allowing Peter to publicly proclaim his love for Christ three times. He's bringing restoration to Peter in this moment. And Jesus does know everything. Jesus did know that Peter loved him. But what he wanted to do is give Peter an opportunity to be restored. So before restoration happened, before any correction happened, he belonged. And this is what God does. See, we've blown it. We can be idiots. We can do stupid things. We have run from the Lord. We have done all kinds of things. We are like Peter. We've lived in Lodabar. No provision, no abundance, no word, no no communication, isolated, feel alone. And maybe your own choices have taken you to that place. Maybe it's because a life conspired to get you there. So maybe you're like Peter. And you feel like, man, I don't think I can have this conversation. I don't want to face God with my failure. Maybe you're like Mephibosheth. Either way, I want you to know something. There is a king who has made space for you at his table. And what he has said to you and me both, you don't deserve this, you didn't earn this, I've made a place for you to be my son, to be my daughter, to eat with me, to be my child, because I love you. And that's enough. So my challenge today is simple. Do you find yourself in Lodabar? Do you find yourself with a lack in your life? Do you find yourself feeling alone? Do you find yourself feeling like you failed? And I've got good news for you. The king is inviting you to a seat at his table. He's inviting you to belong. And as good as it feels to sit at the cool kid's table, I promise, it's so much better to sit at the king's table. 
I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Colin there in Blairsville. He's gonna give you a chance to respond. He'll give you an opportunity to, to, to do whatever you need to do. But I, I want you guys to know I love you more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great day. The invitation today is simple. And I think today it's probably for a lot of us. There's a lot of us that feel like we've been in this position before. So I wanna give you a chance to respond, whether you've prayed, (laughs) you've prayed to receive Christ in the past and whether you never have, whether you are religious or not, none of that stuff matters. That's the thing I love about Jesus' response to Peter. He did not say, you gotta fix your life. You gotta get your stuff together before you can sit with us and eat. He said, no, 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 come sit down. Come on, you are accepted. You are, you belong before you believe. So come sit down with us. Come eat with us. There's a place for you, even if you don't behave correctly. We'll work that out later. We'll figure that out. So if you're here today and you feel like you've blown it, you're here today and you feel like you're all alone, would you accept the King's invitation to sit at his table? Let's pray together. God, we love you. We honor you. (laughs) God, I don't understand why you love us like you do. You would take people, just like Mephibosheth said, a dead dog like me. God, I don't know why you would invite a dead dog like me to sit at your table. God, we haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. We're not good enough. But God, it's because of your unbelievable love. But God, I pray none of us would bypass this opportunity. I pray none of us would remain in isolation. None of us would remain in a state of lack. But God, I pray that we would find not just the provision and abundance and and relationship, but God, the intimacy that we need. God, the the depth we need by just knowing you, by being your child, by walking with you. God, help us to find the belonging that we desperately need at your table. God, I pray that you move in us, those of us that have messed up, that need forgiveness. Help us to find it. Help us to call on your name today. God, help us to see there's no condemnation. There's no shame. God, you call us out of love. So God, I pray we'd see that, respond to that today. Now with nobody looking around, your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you'd say to me, Mel, I need what you're talking about. I wanna surrender my life to Christ. I wanna sit at the King's table. I've been running away. I've been in Lodabar. I've been doing my own thing and I'm tired of that. Today, I'm, I wanna surrender to God. I wanna, I wanna be one of his kids, sit at his table. If that's you, and you wanna be included in this last prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? Say, that's me, yeah, thank you. Who else would say, that's me, Mel, pray for me. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony, thank you, man. Praise God, yeah, thank you on my right, sir, I see you. Praise the Lord. Who else, just a few more seconds, you'd say, Mel, include me in that prayer, I wanna surrender my life to Christ today. I want to seat at the king's table. All right. Romans chapter 10, verse nine. 
tells us if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I'm gonna say a prayer. I'm gonna say it out loud. I want you to repeat this prayer with me. I don't want you to just repeat it mindlessly. I want you to pray this from your heart, from your soul. So you're gonna confess it with your mouth. But we're gonna believe it with our hearts together. So pray this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory. I turn away from my sin and from my past. And from now on, I am yours. Thank you for inviting me to sit at your table. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause, can't we? Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So please let us know. You can either fill out the card in the seat back in front of you, take it to the info center when we're done here in a moment, or you can simply text Summit PA to 94000. Let us know about your decision. We're going to help you take the next step. So if you're watching online or here in the room and you prefer, just text us. Let us know. We're going to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So please take advantage of that, though. We want to help you. So normally, this is the part where we say, hey, we're going to sing and pray and we're going to go. We're not quite done yet, though, because some of you are still holding your communion. You thought we forgot. We did not. So here's what we're going to do right now. This is another exercise in discomfort for you. We're going to ask you to receive communion as a family together today. And some of you, there's a couple of you together as a family. Uh, Maybe you've got a large family. Maybe you're here by yourself today. But what we're asking is that no matter how big or small your family is, would you invite another family to join you for communion Um, and invite them to your table and say, hey, come sit with us. Hey, you belong here. Because this is a picture of what our lives should look like, that we are continually inviting people to sit with us and remember what Christ has done. Some of you are freaking out because you're like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It's really simple. Because at the end of the day, it is just a little bit of juice and a cracker that we're talking about. But what it represents is the body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. So all you have to do is say, hey, Jesus, thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken for us. So if you would, I wanna invite you guys to do that and then somebody take the lead and lead the group in communion and pray together. And then as we're doing that, Pastor Kendall's gonna be playing and he's gonna lead us. And in just a moment, we'll sing. When we finish singing, we'll be dismissed. Um, And as we're finishing up, our prayer team, some of our staff are gonna be available to pray. If you'd like prayer for any reason at all, our team's here, we'd love to pray with you. So do me a favor and uh, go ahead and find someone that you guys can receive communion with as we are moving into this last segment. But guys, I want you to know I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great day. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.